This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Health IQ, the life insurance company that advocates for the vegan and health conscious lifestyles. That's right, Health IQ rewards us for our lifestyle choices. Head over to healthiq.com slash no meat to learn more about all sorts of ways you can save money on life insurance. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Doug, word around these parts is that you got another case of the poison ivy creeping up your legs. I got the caught the ivies. <laughs> I actually am a few minutes late today because I just got back from the doctor. I'm leaving for Mendocino, California tomorrow, which is awesome. I'm going to go run Sid Garza Hillman's 50K race out there. Right? Um, Good. But I, I was freaking out yesterday because, as you know, and as listeners of the podcast know, I have had a tumultuous uh, relationship with with poison ivy over the last few years, and I was afraid that it was going to cover my body again, so I'm trying to get ahead of it now before it gets really bad, uh, and I'm stuck out in California with a rash all over every part of me. Right. Well, it's a good thing that, that the race in Northern California doesn't go through all kinds of lush green areas with all sorts of exotic plants unfamiliar to you <laughs> on the East Coast that might aggravate things. You know, actually, <laughs> when I ran the race last year, I think I got some poison oak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it, you know, maybe if I already have it, then I, can, then I can't get more of it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, it hasn't it hasn't gone all the way up to the to the to the naughty bits yet, right? <laughs> to, to, to the unmentionables. Like, no, right. no, it's still it's all below the knee at this point. Um but you never know with poison ivy. Doug's did you know with poison ivy? Uh you so Wait, hold on. I know it is. That it's a protector of the forest and somehow keeps the <laughs> I think that was uh, but, the original Doug's Did You Know, yeah. <laughs> which also <laughs> maybe the worst. <laughs> um, mothers, what was it? What is it? Mother, Mother Ivy? That's what it's called. Uh, no, no, no. This is, so when you, the it's the oils that uh, make you break out. And once, as soon as you take a shower and get rid of the oils, then uh, you can't spread it. So like even if it's pussy and that kind of stuff, you can't spread it. Hmm. But where it touches, where the oils touch, it could take up to two to three weeks for that to start breaking out so that's mm. why last time it was like a three-week process where every day i'd wake up and it was worse and worse and worse and worse because i had just apparently touched my entire body mm. uh, <laughs> um, last time so so right now it's only breaking out in a small little part but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's only going to break out in a small little part it could still ah okay creep its you could way have up. surprises in store <laughs> yeah. well good if, if anyone's interested in hearing uh about Doug's previous experience with poison ivy, scroll through <laughs> iTunes and look for the ones that have the explicit tag on them. And it's, I think it's that one and the Russell Simmons episode because I guess he drops an f bomb or something. Uh, yeah, so those are, those are the, that's how you can find it and you can you can hear the the details, which are not nice at all. No, not nice at all. <laughs> no. So anyway, you are going to Sid's race. That's cool. Uh, he told me you were one of the one of two celebrity guests at the race. You and uh, Gene Bauer. Yeah. The top billing for you. <laughs> I know. I, I'm at the top of the top of the flyer. I think so. No. <laughs> well, that's cool. Uh, it'll be the second year that he's done it. He had some had some trouble getting it together this year. I guess some sort of legal regulation, red tape stuff. But they worked that out. And uh, beautiful area to run in. So, so I have not run this race like you have, Doug. But uh, I did a you running part retreat. part of the course out there, right? Yeah, I did a running retreat in Sanford Inn and really liked it. Lots of nice cliff views of the of the ocean and some nice trail stuff. As I mentioned, exotic plants, all kinds of good stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it was one of my favorite uh, races last year, and I'm, I'm really excited to go back. And I'm excited to Gene. This will be his first ultramarathon, so uh, it'll be cool to have him back again. Or have cool. him out this year. And I just saw him on his first cruise. So that a uh, couple oh, of Gene Bauer first firsts for... you and I have witnessed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Cool. Well, we took a week off. Uh, I was in Florida where I actually ran, Doug, ran with my wife Erin a little bit. She's wow. thinking about marathon training, kind of getting up to the five-mile distance right now. Uh, she's done marathons before, but she's hoping to do another one. It's been a while because she hasn't done any since we've had kids. And I ran with her just in a supportive manner. Uh but I had a good time. It was nice. Got some got some sun, went to the pool a bit, took a week off the podcast. But now we are back to rainy Asheville and ready to go. That's right. 
We're born so, and ready to go. Yes. So our topic yeah. today, what the... <laughs> I just, uh, I'm going to, we haven't talked about this, but I'm going to put a little teaser out that in, I guess, it, I guess this is pretty far away. In like 15 weeks, we're going to mm-hmm. hit 200 episodes. That's pretty wow. big. That is pretty big. That's a long lasting podcast. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder what the average podcast lasts. Six episodes. Two and a half episodes, maybe. Two and a half. I bet I bet it's not six. If you if you count everybody who starts one and then just stops. Yeah, you think it's you think it's less than five? I think it's under two. Under two under two. <laughs> I think it's like one point eight or nine. Well it's like it's like a blog post. You know, you write a blog post and you realize that like three people have read it and you spend all this time on it. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Very hard to keep that up. We were lucky. We got got in the game early. Don't know that the fact that we're still around says anything about us being good. Just we, we got lucky. We started early. That's right. So, uh, speaking of not being good, we did a Facebook Live about <laughs> a week ago, and I guess it was a week and a half, uh, where we talked about our favorite books of the summer, or for summer reading, given that the weather is warming up, getting nicer, and a lot of people like to read in the summer. They manage to find time, be it on the beach or at the pool or whatever. Uh, so we did one about books, because we've done episodes before about like resource lists, like our running resources or nutrition resources, and those were fairly dense not all hard to read books, but some that are more references than kind of entertaining, easy reads. The ones that we're presenting now are, are presented in that Facebook Live episode. Uh, were somewhat, somewhat lighter, somewhat easier to read. Maybe a little more cursory introduction to stuff rather than deep dive stuff. Um, but still, a good collection of favorites. Like if someone said, "What are your favorite books in these areas?" Not just one of those, but nutrition, running, mindset—the stuff that we write and talk about. What would they be? Uh, so that was our first Facebook Live, kind of a new experience, had to deal with comments and managing stuff and, you know, not to mention video issues and all this stuff that we were doing. So we said, you know what, we're going to re-record that one, uh, not verbatim, obviously, but uh, just talk about that topic again, talk about our favorite books, the ones that we would recommend uh, either for, for, you know, poolside reading or putting onto an audiobook and listening to while you run in case you do more of that in the summer. So that is the setup. Um... Doug, anything to add there before we before we dive in? No. You know, I was so excited about Facebook Live. I'm not going to lie. I know you weren't as excited, but I was pretty excited about it. And it was it was quite a pain in the butt. <laughs> it was really it's hard. a little video? disappointing. It's hard to do video. I don't just, it's it's a lot of setup. I've never, people always ask me why I don't do YouTube. And it's just, I don't know. You got to primp. You got to look nice. You got to get the camera good. Always a disaster. It's not easy to edit. Just, I mean, all kinds of stuff. It's just too much hassle. Not worth it. Well, boo, boo on that. So we're stick maybe to the maybe audio. one day we'll do. You never know. Maybe one day we'll we'll do a Facebook Live regular show uh, where we could be set up and stay set up and not have to, you know, rearrange my office to do it. Yeah. Uh, but who knows? For now, we are shelving that. What and actually, we did it. We did it because Athletic Green sponsored it, and we wanted to fulfill that obligation in the sponsorship. And uh, and now it is done. Now it is done. No more hecklers. Yeah. That's the good thing about podcasting. You can't get live hecklers. Nah, hecklers are no good. That's true. You just put your information. I guess people could hack. People could leave mean comments on wherever, but I don't know where I'd read them. iTunes. iTunes. Yeah, but that's what I. That's what I do. Just read. <laughs> That stuff. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's let's jump in, Doug. I think let's not start with nutrition because that's probably the most dense of the books. Let's let's throw you a curveball, Doug, and start with mindset, uh, uh, which which is for me kind of where it begins. I don't know. These are my favorite types of books to read anyway. Um, so these are the ones that I would most likely read on a beach uh, or just in the summer or listen to in an audiobook. Um, so mindset. Let's see where to begin. I think a nice one to begin is actually where I like to begin when I'm trying to get into a, I don't know, zen sort of mindset mode. Because every now and then, I'll, or not very often, my life sort of seems cyclical in this way. I'll get super bogged down with work and crazy stress, and I'll stop doing meditation and stop being connected with, you know, life and just start like living in this crazy digital space where all I think about is work. And a book that kind of brings me back really well is way of the peaceful warrior you know that one no i don't uh it's a good one it is by a guy whose name i absolutely should remember but i'm blanking on it it's about a gymnast um and it's just like a it's a it's a fictional thing i guess maybe it's loosely based on this this guy's life as a gymnast uh but it's just 
a really, really nice introduction for kind of moving yourself into that headspace of thinking that maybe there's a little something extra out there in the world, that maybe there's something to this, uh, just sort of these Buddhist principles, this this mindset of uh, of mindfulness, really, and, and being connected with the world and all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, it doesn't have a ton of practical tips. It doesn't tell you how to meditate. It doesn't tell you how to be more mindful. Just a nice story to read. And I'm not someone who reads a whole lot of fiction, but this is one that uh, I have read multiple times because it uh, just kind of tends to get me get me going. And actually, was one that I read right at the beginning of uh, when I started training for my hundred miler. The time that I made it mm. made it work. The time that I successfully trained for a hundred miler. Um, so I, I read that at the beginning, and then I think, no, you know what I did? I'm sorry to to go back. I read Scott Jurek's book, <laughs> which came right. out in yes. And I believe in that book, he talked about Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And I said, I'm going to go reread that book. And then I did. And then I was off and running, so to speak, for uh, for 100-miler training. So that's my first one, Way of the Peaceful Warrior. I think Dan Millman is the name. Dan Millman. I'm going to confirm that, but uh, but I believe so. Uh, cool. Yes, is Dan Millman. That sounds like a good one. I'll check it out. All right. It is good. Your turn, Douglas. <laughs> Uh, well, I you know I got a couple. They're not necessarily mindfulness, but they're mindset. Yeah, mindset. They don't have to be mindfulness. Okay, all right. Um, one of mine is uh, Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield, and this was a, it's a short like easy read book. Um, this is the only one that I would put under the uh, beach reading category under mindset for me, mm-hmm. uh, just because it is such an easy read. But I go back to it often, or a few times I've gone back to it, and it was kind of what, uh, when I was making the transition from my traditional job in D.C. to uh, what we're doing here, and with Rock Creek Runner, um, shout out Rock Creek Runner, uh, yes. it, was, it was kind of a big one for me, and it's all about, uh, you know, stopping, stopping, stop looking at yourself as an amateur, and, and you know, think of yourself as a professional and and what that means uh it's it's under the kind of the context of a writer but uh it can really be applied to anything whether you're an artist or um you know i don't know any any sort of creative job yeah i mean even even something like being a parent right anything that requires you to show up and put in the hours and be like uh you know be present in something and and you and you show up day in day in day out uh i think it applies to almost any of that stuff specifically the creative stuff obviously but uh, I agree that is a great one and uh, one that I myself have read multiple times as well, Doug. So that is a, an excellent choice. And by the way, Stephen Pressfield has a book called The Warrior Ethos, which hmm. has a lot of the same themes as this Way of the Peaceful Warrior thing oh, does to me. which came first? I believe Way of the Peaceful Warrior came first by a good bit. <laughs> not, not positive, but I think so. No, that, that's a good one. And, and really, I mean, these types of books, whether you're – that doesn't necessarily mean – or they're not just for people who are – going an untraditional employment route you know it's really about uh, anything that you want to take any hobby or really or parenting or anything that running anything that you want to take more seriously and uh put forth the effort into yeah and it's entirely totally. yeah totally and we i guess we should mention stephen pressfield's book the war of art because if we don't somebody mm. will, will email and say what are you guys doing you didn't mention his most famous book so no, I, there's I that one turning pros better yeah i do too it's it's like a sequel follow-up and somehow for me more readable and just kind of more inspiring than that one yeah exactly good okay um other social media darlings include tim ferris and four hour work week is one that's a joke steve Pressfield is not really a social media <laughs> darling but his book is very famous in in the blog world i just like hearing um, you use the word darling <laughs> <laughs> uh so tim ferris is someone we we mentioned from time to time his podcast is one that i used to listen to and got a lot out of uh, and his books are some that I used to read and got a lot out of. I kind of have have gone the opposite way uh, from from Tim Ferriss's stuff. I don't know why. It just it just has stopped resonating with me. Too much focus on little minutia of daily habits instead of big picture, like what's the point, uh, rather than like what kind of pencil does Stephen King use to use a Seth Godin example. Like people get obsessed on these little details and think that that's going to change their life if they start doing that exact thing that their hero does, uh, when in fact it's it's kind of dumb. Uh, but all that said. The Four Hour Work Week is a really good book for getting, for me, getting inspired and then kind of just learning how to be effective in the way you handle things and the way you manage your time. Uh, so I, it is mostly a time management book for me. Good for, you know, thinking about delegation, not just in a work context, but in the rest of your life. Uh, and and kind of, I guess, probably the most valuable thing I've taken from that is learning to spend time on important stuff and not on 
little stuff that doesn't matter. Right. So it's 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 a good book. Um, has some parts that I don't like that much, including the business section, just sort of an outdated thing about internet marketing. Uh, but all in all, a good book and one that I do return to from time to time when I want a little boost of energy and uh, and efficiency. I listened to that uh, on as an audiobook while I was running, <laughs> and I do not recommend that. It's like too too <laughs> dense for for that. <laughs> yeah, I've done it that way too, and uh, I kind of agree. It's a little. It's I don't know. Not the best easy listening audiobook. No. All right. So All speaking right. of non easy listening audiobooks, <laughs> um, speaking of books that don't fit this category, the whole list that we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Is the life changing ha- uh, magic of tidying up? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which we have Good talked one. about several times on this podcast before because we both went through the whole process of the KonMari method process mm-hmm. of cleaning out our houses and organizing our stuff. And I, you know, I have talked about it with so many people because it really was a life-changing experience. It's very rare that uh, a title of a book lives up to its expectations when it sets a lofty goal like that. Right. And uh, for me, it worked. Yeah, so. I've that's one I've done as well. We both have have done it, and for me, it lasted. That was what was interesting about that book is that mm-hmm. like lots of little tidying up things happen, or or diets, or weight losses, or whatever. You know, people do things and then they just go back to how they were. But this one, when I followed the instructions that she said to do, and for me, I did it all in you know a marathon session, which lasted four days. But uh, nonetheless, that was all I was thinking about, and just knocked it all out. And it, and here I am a year later, year plus later, and it has stuck. So I, I think it's a really good book. And coincidentally, she, Marie Kondo, I think is her name, or maybe it's Mary, I don't know, uh, was I think the most recent guest on the Tim Ferriss podcast. Uh huh. Fun fact for anyone who cares about that. Uh, I have not listened to it, but I, I would imagine it's pretty good. The, the guests he has are often very good. Um, so that's a good one. I like that one, Doug, a lot. Good good spring cleaning. Yeah, book. perfect timing. Good, yes. But also a terrible thing to read on the beach. Just wouldn't, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't, be wouldn't the worst, work it off. The worst beach read. <laughs> Maybe we should switch over to something that's... Do you have any Just, beach reads that like are mindset? Uh, mindset the closest reads. one I have to that is a book called The Alchemist. Have you heard of that one? I have heard of it, but I've not read it. Yeah, Paulo Coelho, I guess is his name. I think he's a Brazilian guy, and uh, it's a fiction book. Another one of the rare fiction books that I've read and reread. Um, just kind of a good book about going after your dreams, sort of like universe has your back ideas without hammering you over the head with those ideas. Because I don't, I don't like being hammered over the head with those or any ideas. Uh, but that's a nice kind of easy fiction read. Very short book, one that is easy to read. There aren't too many. I don't know. You know what? I'm not good at reading fiction. I, I miss out on themes. Also bad at watching movies. And I don't know what's going on. And Except I have to ask Aaron. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Christmas classics, family Christmas classics, I'm, I can, that's my wheelhouse. I, can, I don't need to watch those. I can just <laughs> recite them word for word. <laughs> right. uh, but any actual serious adult movie that is halfway intelligent, I'm, I have trouble following. So uh, I think that's why I'm not good at reading fiction. But The Alchemist is one that I like and I, I've returned to from time to time. Hmm. So uh, I, I have... Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. All right. Then I've got... Uh, you mentioned one that wasn't very easy to listen to. One that actually is kind of easy to listen to. This is... I know you're going to roll your eyes here, Doug. Um, Tony Robbins is, is a guy I talk about. We did a whole episode about him. I've been uh. to a lot of his events. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> I am a big fan of his work. It has helped me tremendously. And the book that I like tell people to start with all the time is Awaken the Giant Within, which is a massive giant book. Yeah, I guess you could read it on a beach or a pool... Let's just let's just stop talking about the beach and the pool because that none of these books are fitting that. Um, there are just too many exercises to do in it for for that. But uh, the audiobook the audiobook version of it is not 500 pages. It's a little hour and a half or hour and 45 minute abridged version. But it's a really nice intro to his stuff, and I think you can buy it for I don't know eight dollars or something on on iTunes, and uh, you can get a quick taste for what his stuff is and if you like it or if you don't without having to really go into a big long book so uh the the audiobook of that is one that actually i kind of enjoy and now and then do listen to again all right okay you're not going to listen to it are you doug i know you're not no probably not maybe have doubtful (laughs) Doubtful. all right what do you got next um the last mindset one i have is the power of habit Mm -hmm. by charles duhigg which I read during my lunch break uh, in at my former job, and um, 
really enjoyed it. Actually, you know, this wouldn't be a bad beach read, really. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, it, it, so it's it's a look at uh, how we form habits and how we uh, create habits and why they don't work and why they how they will work and that kind of thing. And it's just kind of a scientific look at at that uh, habit forming, and um, it's really good. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, you know, it was a it was if you're into that type of thing, if you're interested to know. Uh, what you can do to to make your some of your habits stick a little better and in a non kind of frou frou way, uh, then then this is a good one for you to check out. Yeah, and that seems to be the habit book that kind of was early in the habit game as far as the internet went, and uh, that everyone references and links to all the time. So I, I think that's sort of the classic these days about habit change. And does have some practical stuff, actual steps that you can take to uh, to help. But that whole his whole habit loop con or the, the habit loop con um, construct context. I don't know what I'm trying to say. That whole that whole construction comes from his book, or at least was was made popular by his book. This idea of a trigger and then an action and then a reward. Uh, so a really good foundational book about habit change. And uh, I think even without the practical steps, just understanding that for me kind of made it easier for me to be successful with habits. Yeah, no, definitely. I think if you if you have a context uh, as you're going into the habit forming process, as you're trying to establish a new habit, then uh, then yeah, I mean, then you start noticing things that you're you're not doing right, and you know that kind of stuff. Right, right. And hammers home that idea about willpower not being enough because it is depletable, and so many people when they think they want to change something, that's that's their like go to thing is like, okay, I'm just gonna man up and do this, and I'm gonna suck it up, and I, it's not gonna be fun, but I'm gonna push through even when it's hard. And that's pretty much the opposite of what you want to do to, to be successful with habit change. Mm-hmm. So if those ideas interest you, that's a really good one. Um, the last two I've got in this mindset category, one is particularly pertinent this time of year, graduation time. It is Lynchpin by Seth Godin. Uh, another one about just sort of general effectiveness, mostly at work, um, but you might be able to argue that it's useful in other non-work type of organizations. Um, but that's the book that I give to people like cousins who are graduating when I want to, to instill wisdom in them without actually talking to them and having long conversations and, you know, the thing that you would do, Doug, like take someone out for a beer and talk to them. I instead (laughs) just like to wrap up Lynchpin and hand them that and say, here you go, go to college and read this book and uh, it will help you prepare you for the world. All right. That's one. And then my other one, uh, not at all a good beach read is, uh, Letters from a Stoic by Seneca, who is a Stoic was a Stoic philosopher uh, from around the birth of Christ, I believe, was his his era, his jam, and uh, <laughs> it's a really good book. It's a, for how old it is, surprisingly readable and relevant uh, to the modern world. So that's kind of a good place to start. You can find if you just Google Seneca letters from a Stoic, I think you can find uh, like online versions that are totally free, just on people's websites. So you can get a taste for it that way. Some of the translations are a little iffy, so if you get a good, easy to read translation, that makes a big difference. Um, coincidentally or not, I just ordered Ryan Holiday's book today, Doug. Something called uh, actually I've forgotten the name of it already, but it's a Stoic philosophy book. Uh, hardcover 366, here we go, The Daily Stoic, 366 Meditations on Wisdom, Perseverance, and something else, The Art of Living. Uh, so that that is, uh, the Stoicism thing is one that I have recently been more and more interested in. Uh, I read Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, and I don't know, I, for some reason I like, I like those. I'm not really big on philosophy, and I'm certainly not big on religion. This is not a religion. Uh, but I don't know the stoicism thing for me. It I get it, and it and it makes me happy to to read that stuff. I appreciate that they accounted for leap year in the. Yes, but what do you do on the regular years? I don't know. You have to do two in one day, or just skip skip the last page of the book. <laughs> I don't know. Just you just start over, wait yeah. four years. So anyway, um, that is that. Ryan Holiday is a social media darling, by the way, since we're since we are calling out social Dog. media darkness. All, All right. right. Moving on to a new topic. Doug, what do you want to do? Nutrition or running? I want or cookbooks? Do, I want to do nutrition. I mean, uh, running. Because, okay. let me tell you why. Because I, I have four books that would all be good beach reads. I have five books on my list here. Mm-hmm. Four of them would be excellent beach reads. Okay. Well, then I'm going to add one to my list that is a good beach read that I just thought of. So begin, Doug. Okay. So when I think of... And when we first started talking about this subject, we were trying to avoid uh, like tutorials and that kind of thing. So 
a lot of the training books uh, I have left off my list mm-hmm. that are that good. I really like about running. And these, so when I want a good running book that isn't a training book, I love. I'm a sucker for the like intense stories of mid race where you're feeling like crap and the whole world is collapsing around you. Mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for those books. And That's those are the retiring from running moments in my life. Where I, I retire from running during the race, yes. and then and, then, and yep. then I say, this is just ridiculous. Why would I ever put myself through this again? Mm-hmm. And then, sure enough, you come back. But sorry, go or ahead. you don't. Yeah, or you don't. Like like me. Like you, literally <laughs> Although you, you came back last week. So. <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> um, so one of them you've already mentioned, "Eat and Run" by Scott Jurek. Is uh, if you're a vegan runner, then you probably have read this, and if not, then it should be on your list. It's good. Agreed. It talks about his running philosophy and shares a bunch of his race stories and also his how he kind of came about to the his food philosophy and uh, his background and skiing and all that kind of stuff. It's a good one, uh, yes. and it, it's just a really fun read. And that would be a good beach read, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. So, um, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I don't know. Should I list all four of mine, or is that too much? No, too I will. I will interject here with uh, one that I think is somewhat cliched as far as running books go, but. Now that we're a few more years from when it came out, I feel like not everybody knows about it anymore like they did for a little while. And that is Born to Run, the book that kind of introduced Scott Jurek to the to the non-ultra-running nerd world mm-hmm. uh, that just sort of put him on the map. And and also, in, in doing so, put the whole plant-based athlete thing a little bit more on the map. Because it you know turned out that Born to Run by Christopher McDougall, that it was just this smash hit. You know, I don't know how long it's been on the New York Times bestseller list, but certainly transcended the ultra running world and probably even the running world and uh, just reached this mainstream consciousness. And and the main I don't know. I don't know if he's the main hero of the book. That's probably not fair to say, but he's he's the guy who they keep pointing out and just saying he's the legend in the ultra running world and happens to be vegan. Uh, that That's a pretty big deal. Uh, but of course, there's lots more to Born to Run than that. And uh, Born to Run is just a really entertaining, easy read, not like a lot of like Doug, you I know you like these books about these struggles and and this world collapsing stuff. Like that's a little bit intense for me, perhaps. But Born to Run, I feel like, was done in a way that you don't need to be that into that stuff to to get Born to Run. It just is exciting it, for me. It just made me like want to go for a run, which was something I didn't often want to do. I just ran if I if I had to. I'm not going to make the if someone was chasing me joke. But if I was if I was chasing something joke, if I was trying to run a marathon, then I would run and I'd go get it done. Uh, or get the training runs done. But Born to Run made me like want to go just run because. And that was new for me. It made me feel like I was an actual runner, not just someone who was kind of uh, a tourist in the running space. And that's a, that was a pretty big deal for me. So I would highly recommend Born to Run if you haven't read it. And I, I think the Tarahumara Indians are the are the champions. Of yeah, the... that's why I said it probably wouldn't be fair to say that. that that's <laughs> not not the white guy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, no, I think you're right, and it is such a it is such a good book, and it, it really it puts so much stuff on the map. I mean, it put Scott Jurek and you know his plant powered ways on on the on the map, but also kind of the whole minimalist barefoot, barefoot movement was yep. kind of stemmed from that, and it was an introduction to ultra running for most people, um, and and kind of trail running, and uh, it was what inspired me to start running ultras. I mean, I you know I think yeah. uh, it changed a lot of runners' lives and kind of really put a lot of things in the map. So if you haven't read it, then you have to read it. Uh, but, you know, but most people probably have. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's next? Uh, so next up for me is, uh, let's see, what do I want to do next here? Let's do Called Again by Jennifer Farr Davis. And this is written by an Asheville local, uh, uh, a hiker, a long-distance hiker who... Uh, set the speed record before Scott Jurek um, on the Appalachian Trail, the supported through hike of the Appalachian Trail, um, and it is—it's just a really—it's one of these books that you know talks about just where she's like digging deep the whole time. You know, there's multiple chapters of uh, of her trail hike experience, and um, it, for me, those are really inspiring. And those are the few books that I can sit down and read for hours at a time. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah, I'm a kind of guy who reads for like 45 minutes and then gets bored for with most most books. But it's those type. It's this type of book that uh, that I can read on for for hours at a time. Doug, would you enlighten those of us who don't know about these things? Uh, if she was a hiker, 
and he Scott Jurek was a runner. Is that why he beat? Why he broke her record? Or he broke her record? Is that what you said? He broke her record, but only by four hours on. I think it was a forty-nine day record. So uh, that's that's a good indication of how stout her record was. Mm-hmm. Um, because so she he, was just so she was just hiking the whole time, and and maybe a more consistent pace, whereas he would run a lot of it and then stop. Or did he? Or yeah, did he mostly hike it? I think uh, him and Carl Meltzer, who is the uh, another big ultra runner who currently holds the record, who beat Scott by you know only like five hours as well. Um, I think that they end up doing a lot of hiking um, because I mean it's so long; it's you know two thousand something miles mm-hmm. uh, that that they they end up doing a lot of hiking instead of uh, just constantly running. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, but I think you know she didn't run at all, and, and they definitely did do some running. So she probably put in longer days as far as hours go. Right, little tortoise in the hair story there. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I mean, it's 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 pretty cool, and it's cool, it, uh, you know, because it's a woman who held the record, and um, it's just a neat journey. So, all all the people we just mentioned did uh, what they call a supported hike. So they had a crew that met them at parts, uh, or really throughout every day, um, multiple times on most days to give them food and stuff like that. So they're just carrying a day hike, a day pack. Uh, and Scott jerk was doing the same thing. There is an unsupported record of someone who actually just backpacks and ha- is not allowed to take any assistance. Um, hmm. And that's different. But, interesting. Well, not really just sort of not interesting, but I will never do one of these things. <laughs> just sort of not interesting. <laughs> uh, but I guess if you're into that stuff, then, then yeah, it I am super into that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I know you are. You do you do multi day things, and I will never do that. Yeah, right. You do long long things, yeah. and you just keep going. Uh, good. Okay, so I've got. Uh, you still have more running books, right, Doug? I do. All right, then I'm gonna I'm gonna start adding to mine. Um, running with the Kenyans. Have you heard of that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, easy read. Not a classic, I don't think, but uh, one that explores this guy, British guy, goes and runs with the Kenyans for. I don't know, several months, and kind of just tries to determine what is it that makes the Kenyans such great runners, uh, ultimately ends up not drawing any single conclusion as, as you sort of figured. It's all this combination of tons of stuff. But I found that one actually a really nice light read that was just kind of fun to read. It wasn't a serious study of Kenyans. It was just, it was just, there was a lot of nice stuff that made me, uh, made me think about running in a nice way and made me want to go for a run. Yeah, that's a good one. You read that one? Yes. Good. Um, who won the Boston Marathon yesterday? Was I do not know. No idea. Didn't even know that the Boston Marathon was yesterday, believe it or not. Oh. It was uh, Holden's birthday, so that's why oh. I, I was busy. Yeah, Boston got Marathon. a Nintendo Switch. Oh, nice. Did you play it, it all very day? Nice. No, not all day, but I did play it uh, a good bit in the night after he went to bed, and some with him. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit with him. Did he like <laughs> yeah. it? Was he Was he happy? Oh, yeah. He's he's really into it. Yeah, he loves it. Uh, it was it was a big it was a big decision for us. That's kind of when I got my first Nintendo. I think I was right around that same age, and it didn't ruin my life. But I spent way too much time with video games. So uh, we were we were very hesitant to do this, and we're doing it with kind of strict stuff, saying that he's not he's still gonna not not have extra time playing Nintendo. It's not gonna be hours a day. It's gonna be his little half hour that he does screen time before bed. He can he can do this instead, and this is better because now he's not just downloading random iTunes or whatever it is, app store, Android store apps, and, like, having to watch the ads and sit through the ads to let you play the game more, and, you know, all kinds of bad things happen that way. So this is, I think, more quality gaming. Anyway, back to the Boston Marathon, Doug. Kenyan. <laughs> a Kenyan one. Yeah, a, a, a Kenyan male and female one. Galen Rupp, though, number two from the U.S. Yeah, I know. That's pretty that's big. A big deal. Yeah. yeah. I, did, I did watch him come in. Uh, I did watch part of it, actually. But I had forgotten who won. I was trying to see, and it was Meb's last uh, Boston Marathon, so I wanted to see how he mm. did. He didn't have a very right. good day. But uh, right. anyway, um, so I got two more in the fitness category. Neither of them, are, well, one of them's running. So I'm just going to power through both of them. Okay, go for it. Uh, one is Find a Way by Diana Nyad, who is the woman who, who swam across uh, from Cuba to Florida. Mm-hmm. And um, I like this story a lot because she 
tried, I don't know, I think it was like three other times and failed. And and it was like a well-documented attempts, you know, like camera crews and all the stuff, and she failed. And I, I, liked, I liked that she just kept coming back. She found a way to do it, and she was like 60 or something, 59 or something like that when she actually did it. Um, hmm. And it was just kind of a cool journey of, uh, or a cool story of her persevering and, and kind of coming out on top at the end. And right. uh, before anyone comments, I know there is a little bit of controversy around her final swim where she did, where apparently she did find a way. Um, but regardless of that, I, you know, I really, the story is what, what matters. Wait, to what me. do you mean? What is, what, what's, what, what do you mean? She did find a way. She, she finished. She found a way to finish. Oh, like by cheating. Well, <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's some controversy of whether or not she held onto the boat and rested. Ah, okay. Uh, but she says she didn't ever, her crew says she didn't, but uh, like, if you look at the GPS data, people who are analyzing that kind of stuff, I <laughs> uh, think think that she might have. So, I don't oh, know. That technology gets everybody. You can't do anything these days, can you? No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even hang into a boat for a second when you're swimming from Cuba to Florida. <laughs> you can't get away with anything. <laughs> um, and you know, I don't. I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know enough about it to say whether or not. Um, but I just like the story. Uh, did you anyway. hear Doug? Sorry to interrupt. Did you hear there was this women's golf thing, big tournament, and and the girl, uh, the woman, I should say, she did something that was illegal. I don't know if her ball moved or something while she addressed it. Some little like, you know, obscure rule that cost her a two-stroke penalty. But then she got an additional two-stroke penalty because she carded the wrong score. She didn't she didn't notice that or think it was significant. And then the re- she didn't get informed of the penalties until after she finished her round, like a few hours later, because a viewer on TV called in and pointed out that that there was this infraction so So nobody noticed it until right nobody noticed she finished and she was going to win the tournament she was i think the leader in the clubhouse i think other people were other people were still on the course so it wasn't official that she had won yet uh but but before the tournament ended they they took away her her crown oh man because a viewer called in and said that something happened that's a lot of pressure if you get an an additional two strokes for not carding or carding it is that what you call it? Right. I, yeah, I think it's carding the right score. Carding. Uh, man, I wonder if she even knew that she did the infraction. Yeah, that's a good question. I, if I knew exactly what the infraction was, I could probably guess if she knew or not. But uh, <laughs> she, she took like five extra strokes. No, it just, I don't know. That's crazy, right? Technology is... is did, uh, did you read about... Uh, <laughs> I don't, this, going off on a little bit of a tangent here. The blogger who got caught uh, with the half marathon down in Florida? No. What do you mean? This is pretty funny. So this was some like food blogger who is pretty big. I I didn't know her, but she was apparently pretty big and um, had a big following. And she ran a half marathon down in Florida and cheated uh, but came in second and took like second place prize and everything. Uh, and then someone noticed that something didn't quite add up. So <laughs> they were looking at the race pictures and were able to zoom in on her watch at the finish line. And it was like uh-huh. three miles short. Wow. And and so then she said, she came back and said, oh, I forgot to like start the watch, you know, on time. Or I don't know. <laughs> it's like something weird like that. But apparently when she, when when people were getting suspicious, she went back to the course later that day and bicycle rode a bicycle at the exact speed she would need pace she would need to um to finish when she actually did uh-huh and got it exactly right and then uploaded that gps data and started tried to claim that as her oh my um, gosh as so she went through all these links and and the way and like like people were analyzing everything about the pace and how it didn't or it sped up in different ways than you would if you were running and her cadence didn't quite match it like looked more like a bicycle than it did a run and like <laughs> all this i mean it's like people were spending so much time on this stuff but she went through all these links to, to get away with cheating and then she ended up you know confessing that she had cheated wow you did so is, is it a blogger that we know like someone who who we have met or anything no not not a vegan blogger Oh, okay. Well, we meet some non-vegan bloggers at the Runners World events that we go to. Let me let me look up her name. Okay. You, you talk about the next book, and then I'll. Uh... Well, what I was talking about, I did some name searching for this LPGA event, and it was Lexi Thompson. And the penalty was that she marked her ball incorrectly. Like on a green, you know how golfers will typically go mark their ball by putting a little coin marker behind it. 
pick it up, clean it, and then place it back down again once it's their turn to putt. But apparently she put it like slightly off in the wrong spot, and that's what uh, that was the penalty. <laughs> so not intentional cheating by any means, but I guess the rules are the rules. It's yeah, enforced by fans or not. <laughs> uh, Jane So, who uh, is a is so busted, is so busted. <laughs> she, I guess, she's a Huff Post writer. Writes the food blog at the Huff Post. Okay. Well, pretty smart to try to cheat and win a half marathon because, yeah, right. I mean, who really? Who? Yeah, I mean, who <laughs> cheats at who cheats at that kind of stuff? It doesn't. Rose make sense Ruiz good. does. Remember the the Boston Marathon back in like the mid eighties? Yeah, but that was like like that's for fame, you know. She's not Jane's right. not getting any fame for winning a like a no name half marathon in Florida. Might get might get some traffic from the it though. Publix Fort Lauderdale half marathon. Oh, that's a classic. <laughs> It's on the must-do list for sure. It's one of the majors, I believe. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think we should get back to our list, Doug. Back to the seriousness. Are, are we done with uh, our running books? Uh, no. Yeah. Well, no, you didn't say, what What do I talk about when I talk about running or whatever that one is. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, that That's my last one, and there would be a good beach read. What do I talk about when I talk about running? Uh, and that is a, a collection of short essays about running. Mm-hmm. Um that are are just a really interesting as a runner you connect with uh oh man how do you say his name haruki i don't know <laughs> i scribbled it down i can't even read my own i can't even read my own writing here so i don't want to totally botch it but uh, you know you just kind of connect with him as a runner and, and his philosophy about the routine of of daily running and kind of what it means and what he's thinking about and what he uh, what that establishing that routine means for him. And, you know, he's not like a particularly great runner or anything like that. It's just um, all about, you know, the act of running. And it's really good. And writing. It's also about writing. You know, I don't know if I like running books or not like this. I, I've read a few of them like that. Uh, George Sheehan's book, George, I think it's Sheehan on running or, you know, he, he's a famous Runner's World, well, mm-hmm. now published by Runner's World. Um, there's also, uh, what's it, the guy who founded running times, Ed Ayer, Ed Ayer yep. wrote, uh, the longest race about the JFK 50, which is not the longest race, of course, by any means, <laughs> but, uh, it was a metaphor for, for, I guess the sustainability in the environment, which he's saying is the longest race. Right. Um, I don't know if I, I just, I, I enjoyed these books. I don't, oh, I, I finished them and I always feel kind of like unsatisfied. Like I'm, just, I'm not sure why I read that. Like I, like, I just don't know if running lends itself to this kind of stuff. Maybe it does. Oh, I think it does. Yeah, it's, it's such a simple act, and and it requires it's such too simple. It's dedication. boring. It's too boring to be written books about. I think <laughs> that type of book. You know what? <laughs> I think you're boring. I <laughs> yeah, I, I mean no disrespect <laughs> to those people. Those those. I mean, I enjoy those books. Uh, I'm just I'm just. You just I'm, said you didn't enjoy the books. No, I said I kind of did. I enjoyed yeah. them as I was reading them, and then I got done, and I'm like, uh, I wish yeah. there was more. I wish I had some more action in in here. I don't know. We didn't mention Rich Roll's book, which is a really good one. Yeah. Not Mitch Roll. Mitch Roll is Rich Roll's brother who hasn't written any books. <laughs> <It's a joke. laughs> there's, there's no Mitch Roll. I, no. I misspoke. I called him Mitch Roll for a second. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, anyway. Finding book, Ultra. Finding Ultra, excellent book uh, about his journey. Has the additional element of, of his battle with addiction, uh, which makes it more than just a typical, like, hey, I'm going to go run a book, uh, go, go write a book about my endurance stuff um which which as i'm saying i'm thinking you know maybe pretty much anything that about ultra running typically has this extra element of some sort of addictive personality or something uh or just just extreme personality uh because that seems to that seems to be the mark of a lot of ultra marathoners that that they uh to to excel at that and want to push yourself to that uh that extent you you often just have a personality that that kind of pushes hard on everything fair yeah. to say doug or not i think that's fair to say okay wouldn't didn't offend anybody or something i hope oh i don't know someone yeah. is always offended that's true. but you usually like to step in and point out when i do accidentally offend. <laughs> like earlier <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay yeah okay let's move on to a new category nutrition now boring. the nature of nutrition right i know you think it's boring and uh as I was going to say, the nature of nutrition books isn't often super relaxing, easy reads. 
Um, but I've tried to to I don't know tailor my list accordingly. Like Michael Greger's book, which is uh, How Not to Die, is an amazing, great book. Especially the 150 pages at the end that are about uh, his daily dozen. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> that uh, wasn't meant to be a joke. I know it was kind of funny. Well, no, what I meant there is his the book is like five or six hundred pages, and the beginning 400 plus pages are he looks at these top I think the top 10 or so maybe top 15 killing diseases in in the in I think in the United States and you know goes into each one of them in, in depth. So it's kind of it's not the easiest read if you don't have or don't consider yourself at risk for a certain one of those diseases it's hard to read 50 pages about it which is why i like to have it as a reference so that if i get interested or someone asks or a family member asks a question or has one of these things come up i can go read that and then know a lot about it uh but the 150 pages at the end are called his daily dozen and that part is super practical super useful so i wish he would like put out a another one like a companion to it that is just that daily dozen section because i think a lot i'm not that a lot of people didn't buy the first one but uh, I think a lot of people would would you know fully read it and get a ton out of it. So anyway, the point was I didn't put that in my list here because that one is that's a little bit too dense to be a to be a summertime read, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure. All right. Good. Uh, what you're is just, a you're somewhat? Just spend several minutes talking about it. Yeah. No, I kind of did. So <laughs> no. it's, it's a highly recommended resource. Okay. But right. I don't know about a full side read. Uh, on the other hand, Super Immunity by Dr. Joel Furman is kind of a readable book about uh, some some pretty in-depth nutrition, scientific nutrition stuff. Uh, really, really good introdu- introduction to this idea of eating for micronutrients, not just looking at protein, carbs, and fat, but looking at basically what else is coming with those things, all the micronutrition that turns out might be way more important than balancing macros. Uh, so Super Immunity is one that I really, really like and recommend to anybody who will listen. Uh, speaking of micronutrients... There's a book that we often forget these days, and that is Thrive by Brendan Brazier, which mm. sort of got the ball rolling on this whole plant-based fitness movement uh, in many ways. I know he wasn't the first plant-based athlete, but but he, he played a huge part and still plays a huge part in popularizing it and mainstreaming it. Um, but Thrive, Thrive really offers some interesting different views on nutrition than I had ever read before when I read that one. Uh, I don't know if this scientific underpinning is is – quite there i think he references a few things and, and certainly he's very educated brendan brazier is uh and has a very good understanding of it. but it wasn't meant to be a book that where there's tons of citations throughout explaining every sentence and backing everything up the way like a joel Furman book would be uh but just really unique ideas about energy and about this idea of uh eating for nutrient density micronutrient density rather than balancing macros i don't think in one place in the book does brendan mention how much protein he gets by percentage of calories or how much carbohydrates or anything like that uh, he might give some broad ranges, but it's just it's just not his focus. It's about filling your plate halfway with greens because that's the most micronutrient-dense food, et cetera, et cetera. So if you haven't read Thrive, if you've managed to not re- read Thrive up to this point, uh, do yourself a favor if you're into this whole plant-based fitness thing because it really does uh, have some good ideas in there. I like that. That's a good, good. good recommendation. And before we get to your next one, uh, I think we should pause for a moment to thank our sponsor. What do you think about okay. that? Okay. Let us do that. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Health IQ, the life insurance company that advocates for the vegan and health conscious lifestyles. All right, Matt, let's play a quick game, lightning round. What are the active things that you've done in the past month? Doug, I've been going to martial arts classes twice a week. I've okay. been hitting the gym, uh-huh. and although I've not been really running, I also went to some yoga on the cruise. Oh, that's not bad, not bad. Let's see, I've gone hiking, I have gone on a bunch of runs, including some long runs, regular strength work and yoga at home, disc golf, cycling, and baby bouncing, which baby sounds worse bouncing. than it <laughs> sounds worse than it is, but you know, you put it on your hip and you kind of like bounce around until she falls asleep. Okay, I guess that counts, Doug. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I think we're doing pretty good, which is, which is a good thing because research has shown that people who actively exercise have a 22% lower cancer risk a 50% lower risk of heart disease, and 34% risk, lower risk of early death. Health IQ rewards us for those lower risks. That's right. They unapologetically advocate directly for health-conscious people to receive financial rewards when it comes to life insurance. So head over to healthiq.com slash no meat, that's one word, to learn more on all sorts of ways you can save money on life insurance. That's healthiq.com slash no meat. And we're back. 
Okay, we are back, Doug, and I only have one more nutrition book before we get into our, our fourth and final category, which is cookbooks. Um, Michael Pollan, or Michael Pollan, I honestly don't know how to pronounce his name, but his books uh, are pretty good. He has one called In Defense of Food and Eater's Manifesto that, for me, like kind of started it all. I read that one, I believe, just after I first went vegetarian and started No Meat Athlete. Um, long before I was vegan, I, I was just kind of thinking about vegetarianism and really just starting to think about this idea of real food. And that's, I think, what uh, what Michael Pollan really started was this real food movement, or at least he was the he he beat the drum for it at least mm-hmm. uh, with In Defense of Food. And he re- he wrote Omnivore's Dilemma, I think, before that one. And In Defense of Food was a slightly easier read than that. Still not the easiest to read. But then he went a step further and wrote Food Rules, which was basically these one-liners, like 100 one-liners from In Defense of Food, like with the actual practical tips, like don't eat anything your grandmother wouldn't recognize as food, or don't eat anything that has more than five ingredients, or don't eat anything that has ingredients you can't pronounce. All these things, but there were a whole bunch more than that. Um, and I kind of like how he did that. I kind of like that he that he kept, you know, streamlining the ideas in these books more and more until eventually he was, he was down to this very, very short thing. Uh, so food rules that you can read that in the not just on the beach in the ocean you can be you can be jumping waves and read read that one. <laughs> I mean that's an easy read, uh, but in defense of food is probably the the best balance as far as like you know giving you some actual science and and reasoning behind those things. He's the he's the eat real food not too much mostly plants guy. Right? Yes, that's him. And so he says mostly plants. He's not he's not vegan. And he even I think he has this Netflix show that I don't know the name of, but he it's about cooking stuff. And he goes and, you know, interviews some barbecue guy. Like, and he wrote a book called Cook that was all about the development of cooking and, and lots of, of, you know, meat centric stuff that wouldn't really appeal to to vegans or vegetarians. Um, so I guess I should make that warning. He's not a, a vegan author. And I don't even know if that he's pro vegan. He's pro making your own food and pro using your kitchen and not going to restaurants. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a good thing, and then probably a, a, at this point still a slightly more uh, an easier to swallow message for mainstream people, but kind of a, a gateway message for me. That that was near the beginning I read that, and then it just you know pushed me down this path of uh, eventually going more and more plant based. Right on. Okay, good. Uh, our final category, Doug, is cookbooks. Which we honestly just added because we wanted to promote the, the upcoming No Meat Athlete cookbook, which is <laughs> for being honest, <laughs> which is out in uh, in less than a month now. Today is the when we're recording this is the 18th of April. No Meat Athlete cookbook comes out May 16th, which is a Tuesday, and uh, you can find it pretty much anywhere books are sold. Any reputable place books are sold anyway. Any any bookseller worth their salt, of course, stocks the No Meat Athlete cookbook. Uh, of course, that includes the online places as well. Uh, and if you go to nomiathlete.com slash cookbook, you will see the bonuses that are on offer for pre-orders. So I encourage you to uh, to pre-order it if you're going to get it anyway. Why not get it ahead of time and uh, help signal to bookstores that they should, in fact, stock this thing and become worth their salt. Are you going to go in and to bookstores and sign it? Sign all the back. What do they call that? Sign the sign the back stock or something? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I've only done that one time and not even in a bookstore. At the Asheville Vegan Fest, they had a bunch of my books, uh, this lovely place called Firestorm Cafe, and they said, hey, will you sign our books? Hmm. And then I went and find Firestorm Cafe the other day and saw the book there, and I said, hey, you know what? I bet that book is signed by me. And I went and looked, and it was. Ah, there you go. Fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's did you know. Matt's did you do. All right, so other cookbooks not called the Nomi Cookbook, not written by me. Um, you know what I, Doug, try, I tend, although I like vegan cookbooks and own many of them, my very favorite cookbooks in the world are not vegan cookbooks that I just find the recipes that are as close to vegan as possible. And then I, you know, go the rest of the way and make them vegan. So Italian food lends itself quite well to that because there are lots of pasta and vegetable dishes, not always together, sometimes pasta, sometimes vegetable, uh, and they're made with olive oil. So if you're oil free, then, you know, you got to find some other way to do it. And, and I don't eat that way every day because of that. Like it's, it's typically a special meal if I'm breaking out the olive oil. Um, but Mario Batali stuff, Molto Italiano is my favorite book of his. And it is quite easy to do that. You just don't, you just don't add the cheese when he tells you to do that. And very rarely does he tell you to use butter, but you can of course just use olive oil instead. And I end up making what I think is a lot of good Italian food. Uh, from Mario's cookbooks, you got to you know three quarters of the recipes don't apply because they're about full fish heads and stuff like that, but or cow stomachs or who knows what. But you know 
you do what you can. And if I can, if I can get twenty good recipes from an Italian book, then I am uh, happy to have bought it. Winning, winning. Which should be your philosophy with the Nomadathi cookbook. If you can get just one good recipe from that book, just think about how much it's worth. It. <laughs> but you're going to get way more than that. You're going right? to get 150 of them. Yeah, right. But uh, that's my sales tactic, right? Wouldn't one recipe be enough to change your life? <laughs> I don't know. If that, right. I don't know if that's a good one. So, this is my this is my proof ground for for cookbook sales tactics. I just try different things on you, Doug, and see how you see how you <laughs> respond. No, I, I'm I'm giving that one a thumbs down. <laughs> All right, your turn. Um. All right, my my favorite cookbook, uh, I mean, it's not really my favorite cookbook. It's not one that I go back to very often anymore, but it had a huge, um, I don't know, impact Impact. on me when I was first starting out, and that is How to Cook Everything Vegetarian by... Mark Bittman. Mark Bittman. There you go. Bittman. Bittman. Um, So you weren't weren't just, that wasn't for effect, that was, you just didn't know. That was, I'm blanking on his name, but I know know that Matt knows. (laughs) (laughs) But it kind of worked, right? If you hadn't called me out on it, then... uh, (laughs) Well, if you hadn't said Bickman, then it probably would have worked. Yeah. That kind of blew your cover. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so what I like about this book is that it's not like 150 recipes with a bunch of beautiful images, like the Nomad Athlete book. (laughs) What I like about this is that it's completely different than the Nomad Athlete book. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like those types of cookbooks, and those are awesome to get inspired and to, um, you know, work through the recipes and have a bunch of unique meals that you're, you know, that that are different from what you uh, might normally cook. But what this one is is really think of any dish in the world, and you're like, oh, how do I cook that vegetarian, or how do I cook it vegan? Because basically everything that he has in there has the vegan option, or tells you how to do it vegan as well, um, and. And you just kind of look it up, you know, you're like, oh, I, re- I would like to make homemade pasta, but I need to make a vegan version or I want to make homemade lasagna. You know, how do I do that? Uh, this is kind of a reference guide. It's super big, really dense, uh, perfect for audiobook format or a beach read. Um, really? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm terrible for that. Uh, but, but, you know, but you just like look up whatever you're looking for and, uh, and he has a good way to, to make it homemade and... Um, I don't know. So that that's my plug for how to cook everything vegetarian. And when I went vegetarian for the first time, I was referencing that book uh, quite a bit because it was a good tool for me who who was concerned about how I was cooking. Mm-hmm. Good. I like it. Does he have a how to cook everything vegan book? He doesn't. But but like I said, there's uh, most of the recipes in there have tell you how to make it vegan. Gotcha. So Good. there's no need. There's no need. All right. Well, I've got also, I do have a vegetarian book here that is not vegan. Uh, a book called World Vegetarian by Indian actress actress Madher Jaffrey. And I, I, every time I say the name, I wonder if I'm pronouncing it correctly, so I apologize. Uh, but I think it's called Madher Jaffrey's World Vegetarian. Lots and lots of good recipes from around the world. Uh, they're not all vegan. There is a lot of like yogurt type stuff that's pretty easy just to not put in at all. Or I guess you could put in a vegan version of that. Uh, but that that just that's a, an inspiring cookbook for me. It's one that is just fun to leaf through and say, you know what, I'm going to start learning how to do Middle Eastern cooking and get really serious about it and nerd out about it. And then I don't actually follow through or anything. I just make one dinner of it, and then the kitchen's destroyed. And I'm like, well, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> but uh, it's it is one that that you know it just it just makes me excited and inspired by different different cuisines from around the world. I like it. Good. All right, uh, I've got one more cookbook, Doug called Pasta by Hand by Jen Lewis. Oh. Uh, this is not a not a health food cookbook by any means, although, again, going back to the Michael Pollan ideas, if you're making your own food, it's kind of hard to make it all that bad. Uh, and it is about... This is kind of nerding out. So I have successfully nerded out about uh, some aspects of Italian cooking, particularly making pasta. Uh, and this is all about making dumpling-type things, like gnocchi... Uh, like many other hand-formed pastas that you don't like, run through the the KitchenAid pasta machine and cut linguine out of. You actually form it. You might stuff it. You might do different stuff. It's not at all a vegan book by any means. Not even close to a vegetarian book. But a lot of the pastas you can do, and it's quite easy to make fresh pasta. Uh, substituting, I've found a nice little combination of silken tofu and olive oil for the egg. You can replace an egg with a certain amount of silken tofu and olive oil. 
Again, not an everyday thing because I tend not to try to eat oil uh, on a daily basis. But on a nice weekend when I'm making a fancy meal, I really like making something like a pasta by hand. And my kids really like doing that too. They like also forming the pasta shapes, even though I often have to go back and redo <laughs> their work when they're not looking and they slow me down. But it's fun for all and they think they're helping. Fun fact, I know that you made Yonki the other day with... <laughs> Yonki, it's called Yonki. Yonki. <laughs> Yonki. 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 <laughs> uh yeah, whatever i know you made it with your kids uh because i saw a picture on your wife's instagram about it yes it's not on the no mean athlete official instagram yeah. but the at home with the frasers instagram actually that's not the name of it it's uh it's <laughs> that would I be a good aaron, name for it <laughs> yeah, i think it's called aaron p frazier i think i mean i know that's my wife's name i don't know if that's the name <laughs> of the instagram account <laughs> um so anyway yeah if, if you're if you're interested you could you could start searching for that but um, i don't know that it'd be worth it <laughs> it was a great picture, Matt. That <laughs> was a good picture. I like that picture. Um, I so when you're making pasta, so not the dump, dumpling stuff, but like just you know, just straight up. or right fettuccine, fettuccine ravioli pasta, that kind of thing. Uh, Raviolis, I would consider ravioli a dumpling because you're stuffing it with something. Well, but you have to make the pasta sheets, right? You got to make the sheets. Yep. Okay. Do you use or, the hand crank? Do you use the uh, KitchenAid? thing how do you how do you make your pasta yeah. so to, so to make the sheets i actually roll them through the KitchenAid rollers thing which mm-hmm. is you know it's an attachment you buy plugs on into your your kitchen stand mixer and uh yeah that that's really nice doesn't take long it's easy i just don't have the space or really the desire to get out a rolling pin and roll really thin sheets of pasta like an old italian lady would probably do mm-hmm. uh but you could uh, if it was something you weren't that into and just wanted to try it once then you could probably do it with that without having to make the investment of a pasta roller well you can uh, we, we had the hand crank pasta yeah. maker which is not a huge investment like 25 30 bucks something right uh, and it works fine although it is it is very time consuming and yeah i was just ready to say that i've never tried one but that seems like it would just be really take a long time it takes a long time and and it's a little frustrating if you're not attached to a permanent like countertop or something like that. Right, right. Like, yes, that would be a problem. Um, but uh, but that was a good introduction for us to making homemade pasta, and then we got the KitchenAid stuff when we got married, and uh, that definitely made it a lot easier. Although we haven't mm-hmm. done it in a while. We need to do Well, you and every other person who owns a pasta maker hasn't done it in a while because <laughs> <laughs> you get it, and it takes four hours, and it destroys your kitchen, and then you say, I'm never doing that again. Uh, <laughs> but I have, I've kind of like rededicated myself to streamlining it and saying, okay, this might not be the most authentic way, but if I actually just make the pasta, instead of making a mound of flour and, and putting the, the silken tofu and the olive oil into that mound and then by hand mixing it, if I just put it into the food processor, I can kind of do most of that first step and then maybe do five or 10 minutes of kneading mm-hmm. by hand on the board afterwards. Uh, I'm happy to do that. because And, and same with gnocchi. I found a really, in this uh, pasta by hand book, there's a uh, chickpea gnocchi recipe. So you then, this eliminates the step of having to bake potatoes, which adds a whole other hour and a whole other mess because then you got to peel them um, and then rice them. Right? So you, you eliminate all that, and you can just use canned chickpeas. It's nice if you want to make your own, but you can just use that, and you just have eliminated now an hour to an hour and a half of the time of that project. So do that, another step. You know, Find little ways to streamline, and, and then it can become a two-hour job that is totally doable on a Sunday afternoon and isn't this huge, overwhelming task. So that that is my new dedication is is streamlining that so that it can become a a every night affair. <laughs> every night. <laughs> I like fun. it. But but to do as often as possible. All right, are there any more cookbooks Doug that you have? No. Nope, I got nothing else. Okay, I have a I have a curveball, a final question that you didn't know I was going to answer. Uh-oh. Uh what <laughs> you're your, going to answer? <laughs> I was going to ask. What uh what is your this isn't the question, but what is your reading device of choice or do you just read classic books? Just good old hard copy books. I am absolutely a hard copy book person. Okay. Then if I were to go to your nightstand or your coffee table or whatever it is that you store your book, what would I find? What book is Doug Hay currently reading? Um, I'm not currently reading anything. Oh, no. Okay. Well, it's, if you had a Kindle then, which I know you guess you don't, if I were to open it up, I at least would find the book you last read. I... So what's the last book? Yeah, recently, oh man, I'm so blanking on the name. Uh, the Moneyball guy, uh, his new book. Mm-hmm. What's his new called? book, which is the one about um, Kahneman and Tversky. Yes, Habits. Well, yeah, I guess it kind of is. Uh, that book is or, called not Habits, but uh, 
decision making. Yeah, right. Um, what is that called? Oh shoot, I'm blanking on the name. We should, probably shouldn't waste people's time. No, you can Google it, Doug. Um, we've we've mentioned the art, or sorry, uh, thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman, and that's that's kind of a classic. The Undoing uh, Project. The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis. That was yeah. the last book I read, and uh, it was a good one. If you haven't read it, and if you liked Moneyball, I mean, yeah. and, and it's a totally different subject, but uh, yeah, just like the style. Yeah, you know, Doug, you as a new father would appreciate this. He has a book called Home Game, which was not one of his more popular books. Um, Michael Michael Lewis, I'm talking about. That's about parenting and kind of it's sort of a hmm. funny look at it, uh, but also you know look kind of you, you relate to some of the struggles. There's there's uh, you know it's it, no doubt it turns your life upside down in a good way, but he uh, he just has a, has a good take on that. So that that would be a good one. Home Game by Michael Lewis. All right, turning it around on you. What uh, I know, you're a Kindle guy. What I am a Kindle guy. What is your current book? What are you reading? The book I am currently reading is a book called Cork Dork, and it is about uh, sommeliers, these wine geeks who, and it's about what it takes to become one. Not that I really have a desire to do that, but uh, about the the rigors they must go through and endure to pass the uh, their whatever it's called, their committee or their their board or whatever it's called that that this you know prestigious thing to get the master sommelier certification hmm. kind of interesting have you watched the documentary about that yes some some yeah yeah that kind of a good one uh-huh. enjoyable maybe want to drink wine did you did you ask me that question just so you could talk about being a sommelier <laughs> no because i'm not particularly proud of of being being interested in that uh but i but i like it it's fun yeah and uh, and what was the most recent book that you finished? Wow, that's a that is a tough one, Doug. I am not probably going to be able to produce an answer for you there. Okay. Um. Yeah, I I don't know. Nothing's coming. To, nothing's jumping to mind. Oh, you know what? I read one uh, philosophy type book called called the book. Actually, let me just Google the guy's name. Famous Buddhist author who I'm blanking. We've done a lot of blanking on names today, Doug. Uh, yes, Alan Watts is his name, and he's written lots of books. Uh, this one called The Book on the Taboo Against Knowing Who You Are, and Ooh. sort of a philosophical, sort of Buddhist, not really, more maybe Indian-type uh, religion philosophy book. I don't know. I don't want to act like I know what I'm talking about, because I really don't. <laughs> but that was probably the most recent book I finished. You know what? Last year was the year of not finishing books for me. I got about three-quarters into a ton of books, and... Uh, didn't finish a whole lot. I abandoned many of them at that point. Hmm. I don't know why, but, but it was odd that I did it so much. It was almost as if it was a pattern in my life that meant something, but I can't figure out what. <laughs> <laughs> if only there was a book that would tell you. Yes. You, would, you wouldn't know because you wouldn't get through it. I wouldn't finish it, right. Okay. Well, Doug, I think we should wrap this one up. A little bit of a longer episode today, but hopefully that will make up for our week off episode or our week off of an episode last week. Yeah. Okay, anything else to tell the nice people before we sign off? Uh, go buy Matt's cookbook. Oh, I wasn't going to do it. I was going to I was going to not do a final plug for that to say. You know uh, what? I'm going to not hit people over the head with this sales message. You can rely on me to but hit everyone over the head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening everyone. Uh, I guess we did ramble a little bit in this list, but uh Hey, it was kind of fun to do that. I think we did a better job here than on our Facebook Live, where we didn't really ramble at all because we were we were pressed for time because Doug had a pending haircut that he had. <laughs> Very important haircut. Yeah. All, all right. right. Good. Well, we'll talk good. to everyone later. Have a good weekend, everybody. Talk okay. To you soon.